it's good to see everybody out this morning. I, um, I hope that you came here this morning to, um, to just give God some praise for, uh, for how good he has been to us. And um, I pray this morning that uh, you came to hear his word. I pray that you came, uh, hopefully, to hear something that you can apply to your life and, um, and, and hopefully help you grow in your Christian walk. We're going to be in the book of Ezra, chapter 7 and 8, as uh, Daniel read this morning. So if you want to just turn your Bibles there, um, you've got it on your phone or whatever, it's good to be able to kind of keep up with where I'm at and try to at least see for yourself what the Word of God says. Um, uh, I'm preaching from the English Standard Translation. Um, it is uh, my preferred translation. It is a word-for-word translation that is, um, it comes from the, it's translated the exact same way the King James Version is tra- was translated for the most part. The, some of the primary differences is just the fact that we don't speak Old English anymore. That's it. We don't, we don't uh, say the these and the thous. And, um, and so uh, the English Standard Version is a very good translation. If you have questions about it at all, I welcome you to come and talk to me after services, and I will uh, explain to you why I picked this translation. But that is what I'm preaching from this morning, and um, it would uh, benefit you greatly if you were able to follow along with me in some way. Before we go any further, I'd like to go to the Lord in prayer one more time. And just remember, we got a lot of people traveling this morning. This is the week of the year that people take vacations and go off to all kinds of places. And so remember our, uh, our family members that are traveling and just uh, pray that God will bless them, have a great time, and that God will bring them back safely to us uh, next week if he is will. So if y'all would, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for um, Lord, just how blessed we are. Father, I, I thank you so much that what we celebrate, um, Father, our Independence Day. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us to be able to live in a country that, um, Father, we've really known nothing except freedom. Father, freedom to, to worship and serve you in any way that we, that we have seen fit. Father, I thank you, Lord, for, the, uh, for the, the freedoms that we have, and I thank you for the ones that paid the ultimate sacrifice to, to purchase these freedoms freedoms for us. Father, I pray that, um, Lord, you would be with our nation's leaders. Father, I pray, God, that, Lord, you said the king's heart is in your hands. You turn it whichever way it will. Father, our prayer is that you would turn our leaders' hearts towards you. Father, I pray, God, that, that we truly would be a nation that is under you. Father, I pray, God, that we would be a nation that continuously looks to you. Father, just from my eyes, it seems like we're a long ways from that. So, Father, I ask you that you would forgive us of our sins, and and Father, again, that you would bring revival to us, and that, Lord, we can be a people that draws close to you once again. Father, I, I thank you this morning for our family. We pray for the ones that are not with us this morning, and I thank you, Lord, that, uh, Lord, we're blessed enough to be able to enjoy good things in this world. Father, I pray that, Lord, the ones that are traveling or the ones that are on vacation somewhere, Father, I pray, God, that you would bless them. Father, I pray that they are able to enjoy everything you have given them, but at the same time, Father, I pray that they would look to you and give you glory for it. Father, I pray this morning that um, you would be with us in this service this morning. God, we, we want to hear from you. And Father, this is your word, and unless you open our eyes and give us hearts to receive it, uh, Father, Lord, we will get nothing from it. So, Father, I pray, God, that you would help us this morning to hear from you. I pray, God, that when we leave here, that each and every one of us would have heard something that, uh, Lord, changes our lives completely. Father, you mold us into what you mean for us to be. Father, we trust you to do that this morning. Father, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, I've been talking to you about God's plan over the last several weeks that God has always had a plan to dwell with man, and he has always had a plan to share his reign in a kingdom with him. And so let me give you an example of that. Go back to the very first book of the Old Testament, the, the book of Genesis. The Bible tells us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything that we see out there today, and it was perfect in every way. It was God's kingdom. And then he creates man. And he gives man a command. Now, a lot of you are thinking about the command of not eat from the tree, and that is a command. But the first command God gave man was have dominion 
over this. Rule over all of my creation. Man's job was to walk with God and look to God for guidance and leadership in such a way that when all of his creation looked at us, they saw what God was like in us. They saw God's loving rule. They saw, they saw God's servant rule. They saw God's mercy and God's grace and God's care, God's kindness. And we were supposed to follow God in such a way that that came out of us as we ruled over God's kingdom and walked with Him. And you remember it started that away. The Bible tells us that Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. That Adam named all of God's creation and that he had dominion over all of God's goodness. And we were able to enjoy all of God's perfect paradise and walk with him as we ruled with him in the creation that he had made. But then we know that the Bible tells us that God also gave them a command that you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Every other tree you can eat from. And what that lets us know is that in our rule with God in his perfect kingdom, our responsibility was to always look to him for our decisions on what was right and what was wrong. We had not the knowledge of good and evil, but instead we looked to him for it. And ultimately, whenever Adam and Eve ate from the tree, what they did was they said to God, God, we don't need you to tell us what is right and wrong anymore. We don't need your authority in our lives. We can rule this creation and we can make all of these decisions that need to be made in this life without you telling us what is right and what is wrong. And how many of you know that that's still the problem with me and you today? We still don't want God telling us what is right, what is wrong, we want to decide for ourselves whatever is right in our own hearts. We live in a generation today that that's becoming more and more evident that you look around and as long as it feels right in your heart, the world would say that that's what makes it right. You just need to be who you are. You need to follow your heart. You need to do whatever you feel is right. And everyone is trying to do what is right in their own eyes. And what does a world look like, you tell me, when people do whatever is right in their own eyes? You see a chaotic world. You see a world full of sin. You see a world full of sorrow. You see a world full of hurt. And so ultimately, God has been trying to, not trying, God has been showing us ever since that garden, ever since the fall of man, he has been showing us that he has a plan, and his plan is to restore his kingdom. One day he's going to make it all new again to where there is no curse, there is nothing but blessing. We are going to be walking with God once again. He is going to redeem mankind. He's going to purchase you back from sin. He is going to pay for all of your sins and make you right with him so that you can dwell with him again and he is going to teach you how to walk in his ways. And every story in the Old Testament is a type of God showing you this is what it is going to look like when I do this for you. He calls a people out of darkness and out of sin and out of slavery. Think back to the first story of that with us in Egypt. And then he calls his people into the promised land where he redeems them through the sacrificial system that they have and their faith in it. And then he builds a tabernacle or a place for them to dwell with him together again. And then ultimately he gives them his law that teaches them how to walk in his ways. So you see that picture of God planning on restoring his kingdom and then what happens? Man begins to do what's right in his own eyes and his own heart again, and he refuses to put his faith and his trust in God, and as a result of that, they perish in the wilderness, but out of that people that are perishing, God calls out another remnant of people, and he saves them, and then he brings them into the promised land, and then after he, bring, he calls them out of that unbelief and out of that slavery, then he brings them into the promised land to where they build not a tabernacle, but a what? temple. 
what is the temple for? Because now the temple is going to be the next picture of what it's going to look like. So little by little he reveals, this is how I'm going to restore my kingdom. This is how I'm going to redeem you. This is how I am going to bring you back into a place to where I can dwell and walk with mankind and they can rule with me in my kingdom. And the truth of the matter is, we're not there yet, but God has been showing us over and over again, I'm going to do it. And so ultimately, we see the fulfillment of it in the Lord Jesus Christ. God calls us out of slavery and out of death, and He calls us into the true temple of Jesus Christ and the body of Jesus Christ. And then ultimately, Jesus makes our atonement for our sin. He redeems us. And then Jesus is the place to where man and God dwell together. And then he teaches us how to walk in his ways by showing us the ways of Jesus Christ. Are y'all seeing the theme here? I hope you're keeping up with this. Well, what we have in Ezra is just another story of how God takes a people out of captivity, out of slavery, which is Babylon at this time. He brings them back to the promised land. The first thing he does is he builds an altar and they make sacrifice on it so that redemption can start. And then he gets them to lay the foundation of the temple, to build the temple. But as you remember from last week's sermon, opposition came in. You remember that? And then the work actually stopped because Satan is always trying to shut down the work of God of him redeeming man and dwelling with man so that man can rule over the creation. You want to know why Satan is so adamant about shutting that down? Because when man was supposed to be ruling over it, guess what Satan did when he caused man to fall? Satan usurped that rule. And now Satan has rule over all of this. You know why he has rule over all this? Because he has rule over you. And because he has rule over you, he has rule over all of this creation. So you remember the the wilderness experience when um, Satan took Jesus up on the mountain and he showed him all of the kingdoms of, of the earth. And he said to him, I will make all of this yours if you will just bow down to me. Can I tell you something you may not have ever realized? He was not lying. Satan is called, according to the Bible, the God of this age, the ruler of this present time, the power and the authority over this creation. Why? Because he usurped the rule that God gave to you. And so there is always opposition from him to stop you from being redeemed and from getting back in that place where you can dwell with God because ultimately it's going to lead back to where you are going to rule over all of God's perfect creation when Jesus comes back again. And so we have this opposition And Satan actually stopped the work in Ezra. And the whole point of the stories that we have in the Old Testament is so that you and I can look back and we can see what it is that God's doing in our lives and how he does it and what that looks like when Jesus fulfills it. And so what we have today is we have this story of the temple has already been built and now whenever we get to Ezra chapter 7, Basically, what we have taking place is that some 57 or 58 years has passed. So, when you look at this this scripture and you see that it tells you that this happened in the reign of this king and it happened, um, um, and this person is the son of this and the son of this and the son of this, a lot of times we're tempted to look at it and go, you know, what's the point of all this? I mean, why does that matter to me? But it's actually in those details that you need to pay very close attention because this lets us know that some 57 years, because when we ended Ezra chapter 6 and the temple was built, now we've got a place that we can dwell with God, right? But then the next time we get into Ezra chapter 7, a different king is in place. In Ezra 6, King Darius.
Ezra was in play. In Ezra 7, King Artaxerxes is in play. And that gives us a timeline to let us know that this much time has passed. And so what we see happening here this morning is this. Ezra is stepping onto the scene after the temple has been built for 56, 57, 58 years, somewhere around in that, 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 that time of year. And then what we see happen is when Ezra gets there, he's expecting that the people are going to be walking with God and they're going to be following God. But when he gets there and he leads another group of people back, what he actually finds is the people of God are so far away from God, they are right back at square one where they started at before Babylon came in and conquered them to begin with. And Ezra comes in, and when we get to next week's lesson, you're going to see that Ezra literally goes into the temple, and he rips his clothes, he plucks his beard, he cries and weeps with everything in him because he cannot believe the state of the church that he sees right now. And so what we're seeing today is that it's one thing for us to be redeemed and the sacrifice to be made, and us to accept it and be saved by faith. And then it's another thing to know that you and I are able to dwell with God even in our sinfulness right now because the Lord Jesus Christ is our temple where we dwell with Him. But now I look at us and we're kind of in that stage to where we've been in this thing long enough. And we ought to be able to look at ourselves and see that we're growing in His ways that we're walking closer to Him and more like Him. And instead, when you look across the church as a whole, I'm not talking about you in particular, but just look at the church in America as a whole. I feel like we need to be a little bit like Ezra right now and weeping at the state of God's people that we see right now. (coughs) Excuse me. And so what we have here is we have another story to where Ezra is bringing back a group from Babylonian back into the place where the temple has already been laid, and now his job is to teach people the way of God. And this is the same thing that Christ is doing with us today. After you are saved and after you are made one with Christ through faith in him, God now expects you to grow in him. The Bible actually tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 6 or 7, somewhere around in there, It says, if we say we have fellowship with God, there we go, if we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, what are we doing? Lying. Now remember, the place that we have fellowship with God is in Christ Jesus. But if we say that we are in Christ Jesus, fellowshipping with God, walking with God, but yet we're continuing to walk in darkness, The truth of the matter is we're lying. We're lying and we are not practicing the truth because the truth would be if I have fellowship with God and if I'm walking with God, I should be doing this. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sins. And so one of the things we learn is that as a Christian, we have to learn God's ways. That's what we're here for this morning. We come to church because we need to be taught the ways of God so that you and I cannot continue to walk in darkness, but now we want to have fellowship with God and we want to dwell with God and walk with God. And the way we do that is by learning about the light that He walks in and walking according to that light. And yes, we're going to mess up. And yes, we're going to make mistakes. But notice what he says. The blood of Jesus does what for all that sin? It cleanses. It washes. It wipes it away. And so this is the picture that we have here. But one of the things I want you to understand is that Ezra says over and over, as Daniel pointed out to you when he was reading, Ezra says over and over again that it's God's good hand that provides everything we need to fulfill this goal. Ezra is going back. He's going to lead the people in God's ways. He's going to teach them how to come out of darkness into the light because they are saved, they are born again, but they need to be taught just like you and I. And when Ezra gets back there, what he always says over and over is, 
it was only God's good hand that allowed this to happen. Let me show you an example of what I'm talking about. Look at Ezra chapter 7, verse 6. Notice what this says. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe that was skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked for, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. So how did Ezra know that he was going to be able to complete the task that God had put on his life? He knew that when God has a purpose for you, God's good hand is on you and it is with you when you walk in that purpose. And you're going to see that all through here, that Ezra learned and found out that when God has a plan and a purpose for my life, his good hand is on that purpose and he will cause it to come to pass. And so let me show you another verse that says that. Look at verse 9 of the same chapter. Let's get down just a few verses. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up in the seventh year of the king. I'm sorry. He began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. So here's the point. He made his journey. How did he do it? For the good hand of God was on him. Remember, this is a 900-mile journey. You may not have known that, but you know it now. They don't have a car to take him. How are they making this journey? On foot, walking. They got a 900-mile journey that they're taking. It is a very dangerous journey, a treacherous journey, filled with enemies and opposition on the way, and yet they make it. How do they make it? Because the hand of God was on them. All right, let me show you another verse. Go with me to verse 28 of the same chapter. And who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers, and I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me. And I gathered up leading men from Israel to go with me. Now go down to verse chapter 8, verse 18. Chapter 8, verse 18. And by the good hand of our God that was on us, they brought us a man of discretion or a capable man. And again, how did they do it? Because the good hand of the God was on them. Go down with me to chapter 8, verse uh, 22. I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way since we had told the king. So this is what Ezra had taught the king, all right? The hand of our God is for good on all those who seek him. You see what Ezra knew? Here's the reason why Ezra was not afraid to take the journey to teach people God's ways. Here's the reason why Ezra knew that he could complete the journey and lead people in God's ways. It wasn't because Ezra was so good and so skilled and so and so powerful and that Ezra was a strong warrior. No, everywhere you look, the thing that Ezra recognizes is one thing. The only reason we made the journey, the only reason we were protected from the enemies, the only reason the king gave us the things that he gave us and blessed us the way that he did, the only reason I'm a scribe and I, I have learned in the law, the only reason... We are able to accomplish this goal is because the good hand of God is on all of those who are seeking him for his purpose in their life. Now why am I telling you that this morning? Do you ever feel like in your life of this trying to walk in the light that you spend more time in the darkness that you do than you do in the light? Do you ever feel like sometimes that you look at yourself and you think, God, I ain't going to make it. I, I, I ain't going to make it, Lord. And I want to tell you something. You need, to remind, you need to remind yourself of something that Ezra reminded himself of. Your job is to stay in the journey. Your job is to stay on the path. Your job is to trust that the Lord has called you out of darkness into his light. He has redeemed you by the blood of Jesus Christ and your faith in it. And now the good hand of God is on you to complete 
the thing that he started in you. And your job is to stay in the faith. The Bible says that he who endures to the end shall be saved. Not he who runs a, a good nine laps of a ten lap race, but he didn't quite make it. Your job is to endure to the end. Your job is to maintain faith and to continue trusting in him, believing him all the way to the finish line. And when you do that, the good hand of God is on you to finish what he started in you. So, let's look at the very first thing that the Lord, his good hand provides for you. In Ezra chapter 7, I want you to notice, the first thing that we see is that Ezra chapter 7, the first few verses are just an introduction to who Ezra is. He basically just wants you to know this is who Ezra is because this is the one that God has led and God has called to teach people his word, his law, and to lead them into his ways so that they continue to dwell with him and they continue moving toward the day that they reign with him in his kingdom once again. All right? And so who is Ezra? Well, if you'll look down at verse, uh, let's look down at verse 10 and 11 because this sums it up. 10 and 11 sums up who he was. First off, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. Now, again, in verse 9, the only reason he did this was because the good hand of the Lord was on him. Let me tell you something. I was the kind of person growing up that I didn't read. I hated to read. Somebody ought to say amen to that. I figure we got one hand raised out there. I didn't, I, I, I faked my way through every book report in high school. I don't know how I graduated. That's just the truth. Almost didn't graduate. That, that is the God's honest truth. Only read one book in my entire life. Most of you have heard it before. It's called Justin and the Best Biscuits in the World. It was about 70-something pages long, and the words and the lines and letters were about that tall. I hated to read. When I was a kid, most of you have heard this before too, I was in um, reading special ed classes growing up because they always told me that you can't understand what you read. You don't comprehend anything that you read. And so up until about the eighth grade, I was in special reading comprehension classes all the way up plumb to high school. I was in speech class because I could not talk until, I don't even remember my sister, maybe I'll tell you, maybe in seventh or eighth grade, I don't remember, until my mom went in there and told them that he's, he's fine, he don't need to keep going through speech class, he's not going to be in this anymore, and then I was pulled out of it. Here's my point. Your pastor, the one that opens the word of God to you Sunday after Sunday, is a man that hates, I still hate to read other than the Bible. That's it. I am a guy that never has been able to understand what I read, couldn't comprehend it. I'm a guy that they've told over and over again, you can't talk. And yet, here I am. Do you think that's got anything to do with me? That's my point. My point is that Ezra set his heart to study the Word of God, to seek the Word of God, to learn the Word of God, not because of who Ezra was, but because of who God had raised him up to be. God raises up leaders and teachers to accomplish his purposes. The Bible says that it was his good hand that was on Ezra that caused this to happen. I should not be here today. I should not be a pastor. But yet here I am and have been for some time now. And it is only, I can tell you today, because the good hand of God was on me. That's it. I can't take any credit for that. 
But look at who God had raised Ezra up to be. The first thing, and we'll go back to 10 and 11 here in a minute, but the first thing actually comes from verse, um, notice the end of verse 5. After all, the son of this, son of that, son of that. This is who Ezra was. The point is, he gets down to the end of verse 5 and he says, Ezra is the son of Aaron, the chief priest. God raised up a qualified, ordained man. Let me show you what I mean by that. In Exodus chapter 29, verse 9, the scripture actually tells us that God chose Aaron. Look what it says. You shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them, and the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute or by a prescribed order. This is God's ordination service. God ordains. He specifically chooses that Aaron and Aaron's lines are going to be the ones that stand in the gap between God and man and they lead the people in the ways of God into relationship with God. And it says here, thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. This is the reason why in the book of Ezra chapter 7, Part of Ezra's qualifications are his introduction. This author wants you to understand that the reason why he is where he is today is because God ordained it to be so. It wasn't because Ezra was some special chosen person. It was because God chose that this was the line he was going to bring this out of. And the same way that I am today. The only reason I am where I am today is because God specifically chose for whatever reason, not because of my good deeds, I promise you that, but for his own mercy and for his own grace, God chose a sinner like me and he raised me up. I can look back at my life and I can see from the time I was born how God was training me and preparing me and molding me and making me for such a time as this, right here. And if any of you know my background and my history, you can see it too. But God chose and he ordained Ezra, who was a son of Aaron. And then notice what it says next in verse 10 and 11 again of Ezra chapter 7. Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the, God, law of the Lord. And he's not only set his heart to study it, but this is somebody that set his heart to do it. And this is another thing that you see about a true, chosen, ordained man of God. It's not just somebody that studies the Word. It's not enough for me to just study it and be able to know it and be able to teach it to you. Yeah, that's good. But if you want to see somebody that is truly chosen and ordained by God, they're not only studying it and knowing it, but they're doing it. They're doing it. And then notice what it says next in that verse. It says, and he set his heart to teach it. To teach it to all the people of Israel. So it's not just somebody that just studies for themselves and they want to know it just so that they can do it. But now a true leader chosen by God that is going to fulfill God's purpose and his hand is on them is somebody that has set their heart to now go and teach it to now make sure that I don't just know it and practice it, but you know it. And my desire is for you to practice it too. And for you to teach your kids and those that you are around. And so goes the cycle. And so Ezra is a, he is a teacher, he is a priest, he is a scribe. Notice in, um, um, I, I'd have to find which verse it is now. But it actually calls Ezra a scribe. And basically, a scribe... Verse 11, I should have went to the next verse. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra, the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for all of Israel. And so again, Ezra is a priest, and a priest was somebody who led the people in the ways of God. He helped them to stay in good relationship with God, to keep dwelling with God. And then we have a scribe. Scribes were educated wise men, and their, their job was to take the written text of God, and they were to rewrite them and make copies of them. They
They were to read them. They were to interpret them. Like, for instance, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29, Jesus actually tells us in this little passage of Scripture that he was teaching on the, uh, the wise men and the foolish men and the one that builds his house on the rock and the one that doesn't. And it says, when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his what? Teaching. That's important. We're going to see what a scribe does. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their what? Scribes. So what do scribes do? Scribes were teachers. Scribes were the one that would take the word of God, they would read them, they would interpret them, and they would teach the people of God. And this is exactly how God raised Ezra up and who God raised Ezra up to be. We also see that God sent teachers and men of insight to purport to perform his duty. Look at uh, chapter 8, verse 16 and 17 there. Chapter 8, verse 16 and 17. Then I sent for, this is Ezra, then I sent for Elizur, Ariel, Shemaiah, El-Nathan, Jerob, El-Nathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshalem, leading men, and for Jerob and El-Nathan, who were men of insight. These were good teachers. These were solid teachers. And Ezra had recognized that the good hand of God was on them the same way it was on him. And so one of the things that we learn from this is that when God decides that he's going to lead people in his ways, he always raises up good, solid teachers who are people that can perform the duties of helping you stay in a good dwelling with God, people who can teach you and they can read and interpret the Word of God and they can give it to you so that you can listen to it and obey it and understand what it means. He gives you men of insight is what it says here. Look what else it does here in um, verse um, 34 of chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 34. The whole was counted and weighed, and here he's talking about all the gold and the silver. The whole was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was what? Recorded. You know what that tells you about these men? They're men of integrity. They're men of integrity. They always do things to make sure that everything is in, is in the clear, that nothing is hidden. And so what you see here is men that they have been entrusted with things of God and even with money and things here, and yet they are recording every cent. You know, I know we do business meetings here, and a lot of churches don't do that, but we have business meetings, and we give you a financial statement that goes down to the penny of everything we do here. Everything we do is counted and is tracked, and we know where it came from and where it goes, and we know everything about it. And the reason we do that, again, is because we want to make sure that you understand that your leaders in this place are leaders of integrity. They're people that keep track of everything, and they're people that not only are just teachers and people that know the law, but you can see the fruit of God in their lives and everything that they do in the ministry. And then we also see in um, Ezra chapter... um, 7 verse 10, go back to chapter 7 with me again, in verse 10 we see that these are people that teach all of the rules and the laws in Israel. At the end of verse 10 it says that Ezra set his heart to teach his statutes and his rules. Notice he says it twice there. In other words, these are teachers that we're going to teach you the whole counsel of God. Can I promise you that every time you come in here that you're going to like what you hear? Can I promise you that every time you come in here that I'm going to preach things that are going to line up with what you're doing in your life right now? No. No, I can't promise you that. Matter of fact, I can probably tell you just the opposite. You're here this morning because you're probably going to hear a word that is not something that you do in your life correctly. And that's a good thing because it gives you the opportunity to make that change to learn God's way and to walk in God's way. And this is what's going to give you the evidence that I'm in the race. I'm fighting the fight. 
I'm being called out of darkness into the light because I see the evidence of God teaching me his ways and leading me in the Lord Jesus Christ and the life that he lived. And so Ezra is one of these people. He's learned in all the matters of the Lord is what he says in chapter uh, chapter 7, verse 11. But then go with me to Ezra chapter 7, verse 25. And I want to show you that he had lived in such a way that even the king saw what kind of man Ezra was. Even the world in these teachers and these leaders and even in your life, the world and the people around you that you work with, they should see that God is at work in you. Look at what the king saw in verse 25. And you, Ezra, this is the king speaking, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God, and those who do not know them you shall teach. So here is a king that is not a godly king, and yet he looks at Ezra and he sees such an example and such a, a godliness in him that he trusts him to go to a nation far away and raise up people according to his own God's laws and commands and teach them and lead them that away. And he trusts him to do it. And you and I need to be able to ask the question, are we growing in Christ in such a way that the people that we work around see God changing us? Now, I'm not saying that you're going to get it right right away, because I didn't. I can remember the time in my life uh, years ago, many years ago. But I can remember uh, when I lived two different lives at work. I remember that time. I remember I had this, this guy, and some of you have heard this story. If you have, bear with me. I worked with this guy that was a deacon in the church. Good godly man. I love this man. He worked on an assembly line that... that um, that I would go to and sit. I had a job that I could move around a lot, so I wasn't tied down to one spot. A lot of times during some free time, I'd walk up to this man in his machine, and I'd talk to him, and man, I was raised in the Word of God. I was taught the Word of God, even though I wasn't a Christian. I knew the Word of God. And so I could talk the talk with you, anybody. And I could sit there, and I could talk the talk with this man. But I can remember that in my job at that time, I traveled a lot. I had to go to different places and, and do different things for the company. And while we were out, I was traveling with a guy that, man, he liked to live it up. And so while we was out, I did too. And so I'm leading singing in the church on Sunday morning. But on Monday through the next week when I'm out of town, I'm living a completely different life. I mean completely different. And you know, when you live that way, it don't take long for the stories to come back to work with you, right? And one time I come back, and I went back to this guy that I used to sit and talk to, and he wouldn't even hardly look at me. And I can remember I was trying to talk to him, and he just finally turned, and he looked at me, and he said, you lied to me. And I'm talking about my heart sank. My heart literally hit the ground. And I tried to play dumb. I said, brother, what are you talking about? What do you mean? What I lie about? But I knew exactly what he meant. You come and you talk to me one way about you're this Christian and you lead singing and you do this in the church, and yet I know how you really live. And I can remember that night. I'm telling you, my heart was as broke as it had ever been broke. And you want to know why? It wasn't just because of him. It's because it was the truth. It was the truth. And I can remember I hit my I hit my butt in a corner of my room just broken at midnight that night just crying out to God. Say, God, I'm a hypocrite. I am a hypocrite and I I need you to save me. That's what I need. I need you to save me. And I can remember I cried out to him. And I'm telling you that next time this plant that I was working at was actually closing down. And I told God, I said, God, when I get this new job that I'm going to, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to get it right. I'm going to make sure that I go into this next job, and I'm going to, I'm going to make sure they know who I am and what you've done in my life. And God said, no, 
no, you're not. And I thought, what do you mean? He said, you're going to start right here at this job before you leave. And so the next day, sure enough, I went into that job and a lot of people worked in that place. And I went around to everybody in that place, everybody. I tried not to miss a soul. And I asked their forgiveness and I told them that I had been a hypocrite and I told them that God had saved me and that, um, that he was making me new and that I was going to be baptized. I wanted them to come see it. And then sure enough, we were sitting there and we were in, a, we were in the association. This church wasn't even built. We was in an associational building, building meeting down on 64 Bypass. And I remember that Sunday morning, I didn't know if anybody would show up. But I looked up that morning and half of that plant was walking in the door of the church. And they walked in there and I got baptized that morning. And I can honestly tell you that I had never been the same. Now, I can tell you this. I've messed up tremendously since then. Still sinned a lot, still struggle with all kinds of different sins, but I can tell you this, my life has been completely changed. And so, I don't even know how I got there. What am I talking about? And so, amen, thank you Jesus. So anyway, I have been raised up for that purpose and, um, and that's where I am today. Hebrews chapter, oh, the king, that's what it was. The king recognized. So what I'm trying to say to you is maybe today you're that away. Everybody that you're around, they don't see the work of God and the work of Christ in you. Well, maybe today is the day that God is knocking you upside your head saying, hey, it's time for you to start showing people who you believe in, what you believe, who you follow, and what he's doing in your life. It's time for you to start asking some forgiveness from people that you've been around that when they look at you, they don't see the work of God in you. Because Ezra was the kind of person that when even the king that was not a godly king looked at him, he saw the work of God in his life. And that's the same thing that the people around you should be able to see too. But the Lord raises up people like Ezra to be able to help lead you in that path and in that way. And then he still does this today. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And now go with me to Hebrews chapter 13. I didn't give you this in Nathan, so I apologize. I've got to find it real quick. Hebrews chapter 13, verse, verse 17. He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over what? Your souls. God raises up leaders and teachers for you today in that same capacity that you are to be able to see that they set their heart to study the Word of God. You are to be able to see that they set their heart to know all the ways of God. You are to be able to see that they not only just know it, but they do it. You are to be able to see that they not only just do it, but they have a desire to teach it and to help you to grow in it. And when you see a true leader and a true teacher, and let me tell you, I can honestly say to you, they're few and far between, and they always have been. When you go back and you look at Ezra, there were far more false prophets than they were true. When you go back and you look at Moses and you look at um, uh, Jeremiah or you look at Isaiah or you look at any of them, there were a lot more false teachers than there were true teachers. But let me tell you something. God does raise up true teachers, and you should be able to see the fruits in their life. And when you do, you should be able to do like this says right here, to obey them, not because we're standing over you with a whip, but because we're providing an example for you to follow. And you should be willing to listen and to listen to the word of God that they're speaking to you, and you should be able to obey them and submit to them. Why? Because they are keeping watch over your soul. I'm trying to make sure that your faith is genuine and that you are running the race and that you are fighting the fight 
and that you are staying in this thing all the way to the end. And I'm trying to make sure that your soul is kept safe until the day that you stand before him and he perfects you and he makes you whole. And he says not only that, but they keep watch over your souls and they are those who will have to give an account. And let me tell you something. This is the reason why the Bible tells us, let not many of you become teachers because we shall receive a stricter judgment. I'm going to tell you something. There have been times in my life that I have not took this serious enough. I've not took this serious enough that when you commit yourself to this flock and what we do is membership, and when I know that God has put me over your care, and when, I, and when you know that God has put you under my care, I need to make sure that I under, and I'm working on that right now, I really am. I need to make sure that I'm really paying close attention to your walk. And that I'm actually watching over your soul because one day I'm going to give an account for people like Chris Pope and Jeremiah Callahan. Whoo, God help me. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm kidding with them, sort of. But <laughs> you know what I'm saying. One day I'm going to have to give an account. And one day I want to be able to say that, God, you trained me up and you raised me and your good hand was on me. I trusted you. I followed you. I set my heart. That's the reason why Paul told Timothy to study, to show yourself approved, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is the same thing that applies to us today. And when the good hand of God is upon us, he will provide this. I don't have time to go no further. So I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to stop right there. Next week, we're going to keep this same outline, and I'm going to pick up on number two. And I want to show you how God uses the government, and I want to show you how God uses the government for his purpose, both in evil leaders and in 